It's great to be able to share with you today. And uh, welcome to you if you're joining us online. It's lovely to have you with us as well. If you have a Bible, you might like to turn to the book of Exodus, Exodus 17. And whilst you're doing that, I want to tell you about a monk who joined a monastery and took a vow of silence. And after the first 10 years of being there, he was called into his superior's office and asked, is there anything you'd like to say? And he replied, food bad. Well, after another 10 years, the monk had opportunity to again express how he felt, to which he said, bed hard. Well, another 10 years went by, and again, he was called into a superior's office. And when asked if he had anything he wanted to say, he said, I quit. The superior said, well, it doesn't surprise me a bit. You've done nothing but complain since the moment you got here. It's been said there are two types of people in the world, those that see the glass half full and those that see it half empty. In other words, those who see the world from the bright side of life, in a sense, and those that don't. And looking back on this year, 2020, I mean, what a year. (laughs) I think even the glass half full people have begun to lose a little of their smile. People's plans have been dashed and disrupted. Weddings and honeymoon destinations. You know, church services and funerals. You know, sporting matches, parties, celebrations, holiday destinations and plans and trips, provincial shows, community events, concerts, businesses, and even elections have been delayed, disrupted, or cancelled. Three words that have been written across the diary entries in our calendars. And you may be familiar with the movie Back to the Future. It, was, uh, it takes place in 1985, it was actually made in the 1985, and um, it's about a scientist, a Dr. Emmett Brown, who turns a car into a time machine, and in order for time to travel, you punch the coordinates into the time circuit, and having switched it on, you punch in the date, but it's the flux capacitor that makes time travel possible. Everyone say flux capacitor. Why did I get you to say that? It's to ensure that you're awake. But it's the flux capacitor that makes it possible. Now here we have an image on the screen of Dr. Brown telling a young Mighty McFly how it works. Whatever you do, don't set it for 2020. That's about it, isn't it? Enough said. Given the disruptions, the delays, the cancellations, one could be forgiven for getting a little bit grumpy even complaining a little about the way that life is turning out this year. That which we were looking forward to, no longer going to happen. The Bible tells us that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And you're sitting there thinking, no wonder I feel the way I do today. You know, with all that's going on in the world, it's easy to, to be a little challenged by what's going on and challenging in ourselves to think, how can I keep positive and not complain? Earlier this year, I felt the Lord lead me to a passage of Scripture that I found both comforting and challenging. And I found myself drawing, drawn back to this passage of Scripture a number of times. And I want to share with you four thoughts from it this morning that hopefully are a blessing to you as well. Exodus 17. I'd like to read to you from verse 1 through to verse 7. Now, the whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled with Moses. They said, 
Why did you bring us up out of Egypt? To make us and our children and livestock die of thirst. And Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock of Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massa, meaning testing, and Meribah, which means quarreling, because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? Now, this took place some two months after the Israelites had been released from slavery in Egypt. And Moses is now leading them through the desert to the land that God had promised them that would be their own, a place where they could live, plant crops, establish cities, and dwell in peace. The first thought is this. Difficulties still come despite being in God's will. Verse 1 tells us they traveled from place to place as the Lord commanded. And elsewhere in the Bible, it tells us that God actually provided a very visible sign of his presence. There was a pillar of cloud that led them during the day and a pillar of fire that was there for them at night. And whenever the pillar moved, they would up sticks and, and follow. Do you find it interesting then that he would lead them to a place in which they would encounter difficulties? This obviously was not the easy route. This was a place without the necessities of life. There was no water. Can you relate to this? You believe you're in the midst of God's will. You believe you're doing everything he's called you to. But there's trouble at the left and there's trouble at the right. And it feels like you're pushing wet cement up a hill. And we, like Israel, can begin to complain. Talk to others about a problem and our difficulty. We sound off out of frustration. We can even begin to question the decisions we made in the past that led us to the point where we are right now. And in Exodus 17, you can hear the Israelites asking, why they? did we throw our lot in with this Moses guy? They thought they would have been better off if they had remained in Egypt. In fact, in chapter 14, three chapters earlier, just before the Lord parts the Red Sea and leads them through on dry land, and in chapter 16, they actually say to Moses, look, our lives weren't in this much danger when we were in Egypt, and we had more enough food and enough water to eat and drink. They forgot quickly that in Egypt... They were living under the tyranny of Egyptian slave masters. Can I encourage you? In life, if you're living a life that is yielded to the Lord and things start to go wrong, don't. Just get discouraged and start to second guess him or his leading. Know that he is working out his good, pleasing, and perfect will in our lives and will continue to do so as we yield our life to him. This year has been full of difficulties and challenges. It hasn't meant we've wandered outside as well. It has, however, provided us with an opportunity to lean more on him. And to trust more in his leading. Difficulties are an opportunity to do just that. To trust him. An opportunity to lean more on his lordship and to learn more of his nature and his character. Yeah, he is God. (laughs) He is God. It's good to remind ourselves of that. And he knows what he's doing, and he knows the path that our life should take. We can be assured of that. So it seems that difficulties still come despite walking in his will. In fact, Psalm 23, verses 3 and 4 says this, He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. The right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you. 
are with me. So be assured he is with us and he's working out his plan. We have nothing to fear. As he was with the children of Israel in Exodus 17, he is with us today. Okay, second thought. We have a choice as to how we will respond in the midst of difficulty. You need to compare the way Israel responded to the situation with that of Moses. The people complained to Moses, but we read that Moses said to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're about to stone me. He took his difficulty and his complaint to the Lord. He could have turned to Miriam, his sister, or Aaron, his brother, who were with them, or even to the elders of Israel and talked about it. No, what does he do? He talks to the Lord. He calls out to the Lord. And that's where we should take our complaint to. That's the choice we have to face as well. To complain to others or to him. Yeah, you look at Psalms, they are full of instances in which the writer complains, pours out their heart to the Lord. You know, in Psalm 137 and Psalm 140 and 69 and 85, 102, 22, there are instances where they pour out their sorrow, their anger, their fear, their longing, their confusion, their frustration, their sadness, repentance, disappointment, depression. It's all there. In fact, one third of Psalms are complaints and laments. One third. God wants us to pour out our complaints to him and tell him our troubles. Psalm 142 verse 2 says this, I pour out before him my complaint. Before him I tell my trouble. The book of Psalms teaches us that he wants us to tell him exactly how we feel and that he wants us to remember that in spite of the way things are and how we feel, somehow, in some way, someday, these troubles will no longer afflict us. The Psalms of lament give us inspired voice to our troubled hearts and minds. The model for us how to complain to God in a way that still honors him. We can complain to him, but we are not to accuse him. That is a very different thing. They are in themselves expressions of God's care and compassion for us. And in them we see that we are not alone and not as alone as we feel and that God does understand. We need to learn from the psalmist how to be a faithful complainer. In difficulty, we have a choice. Either to complain to others, turn back, or turn to him and trust him. And when you look at the Israelites, it appears that they had an escapist attitude or mindset. Many times when confronted with a problem, they said, it would have been better for us to have been back in Egypt. They had a desire to turn back, to return to the familiar, to what they'd known. And it's easy for that sort of thinking to slip into our thinking as well. Rather than having an attitude of endurance, we can have an attitude of escape. Rather than pausing and considering, what is the Lord trying to teach me in the midst of this problem right now? We would rather retreat to the comfort, to ease, to the familiar, to what we know. We'd rather escape than endure. And having an escapist attitude is a sure way of never entering into all that God has for us. The destiny God has for our lives. Because the path to the destiny of God, the path to the promised land that you and I have got, is paved with difficulties, obstacles, and challenges. Think of David, Elijah, Daniel. Think of Joseph. Ruth, Esther, they all were confronted with so many challenges. There were rivers to cross and there was wilderness experiences and lion's dens and prisons. And, you know, it was just, it wasn't easy at all. I read a funny story of a farmer called Jebediah. Everyone say Jebediah. Jebediah. Has to be Jebediah, right? Jebediah. He had a mule called Caesar. And one day Caesar fell into an old abandoned well that was 50 feet deep and very narrow. Now, Jebediah loved that mule, but when he looked down the well, could neither see anything or hear anything, he assumed that Caesar had died. 
And as much as it bothered him to leave Caesar down there, he didn't think it worthwhile trying to retrieve him. And being a practical person, he thought the best thing to do would to be bury Caesar, and that way also would mean that no one else would accidentally fall into the well. So Jebediah called his friends, Jethro, Chuck, Randy, and Mary Lou, and they began to <laughs> shovel dirt into the well. The first shovel load of dirt, well, that woke old Caesar up because he had only been knocked out. When the next shovel load hit him, he realized what was happening. But instead of letting himself be buried alive, Caesar shook it off. And every time a load of dirt hit his back, the mule would just shake his body and toss the dirt to the ground, and then he would step up. Caesar kept that up. Shake and step. Shake and step. If I get the sack, I'll become a... (laughs) Depends how the sermon goes, eh, Carl? After nearly an hour of shoveling dirt, Old Jebediah and his friends were stunned to see Caesar's ears begin to appear at the top of the well. Realizing the mule wasn't dead, they kept shoveling and old Caesar stepped out of the well to freedom. What could we learn from old Caesar? Well, when difficulties come and dirt hits your back, don't let it bury you. We need to have a shake it off and step up attitude. Actually, I feel a song coming on. So what do we do in life? Pour out your heart to God. He wants you to do that. Use Psalms as a guide and remain faithful, determined that no matter what, we'll have an endurance attitude, a shake it off and step up attitude. Not an escapist one, but one that says, I will stay the course no matter what. Okay, number one, difficulties come despite being God's will. And number two, we have a choice as to how we're going to respond. The third thought I had was that notice the way that God responds to the situation. He responds with grace. He doesn't rebuke them for their you know, lack of faith. He hasn't got his arms crossed and staring at them with beady eyes and pointing his foot and a half long bony finger at them in condemnation. There's no sense of that at all. I love the fact that he's patient with them as he is with you and me. He simply told Moses to get out from among the people. In verse 5, go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff of which you struck the Nile and go. Moses was to take that staff, that rod that he was holding. Now, how amazing is that? And I believe in taking that staff, it would have reminded Moses of the many things that God had done whilst he was holding it. The rod had been used in many of the plagues and in the parting of the Red Sea. You see, God had provided in the past. God had been faithful in the past. He had proven himself in the past and therefore was well qualified to meet the need in the present. And that would have given Moses confidence, not in himself, but in God. And in difficulty, it's good to remind ourselves of the good things, the great things, the things that God has done in the past on our behalf of his provision. He's been faithful before. He'll be faithful today. If there was provision in the past, there'll be provision tomorrow. And that's where the word is so powerful. As we read it, faith rises. Faith comes from hearing the word as it's planted in our hearts. There comes an expectation as God is going to do something spectacular. I can feel it because I've read it and I know he's done it for them. He'll do it for me as well in the midst of our difficulty. The amazing thing is that this was not the first water crisis Israel had faced. A couple of chapters earlier, they'd come across a water hole in which the water was bitter. And Moses was instructed to take a stick, throw it in, and the water would become sweet. Now, you think that Israel would think, hey, he did that then. What's he going to do now? Well, stand back, team. Come on. They'd go, wait, something spectacular is going to happen in our water problem right now. If God sorted it then, he's going to do something great now. But they didn't. 
And the trouble is that we can get so tied up in our difficulties that we actually forget what God has done in the past. You know, Philippians 4.19 says this. It's an amazing promise that we should all memorize. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. He'll meet all. And there's that Greek word again that Paul reminds us about. All means all. What a promise. Jesus has opened the doors for the riches of heaven to be at our disposal, available to us today in the midst of difficulty. Let's not get so tied up in the difficulties that we neglect the word of God and we neglect to pray. And in so doing, we're basically saying, I can sort it out myself in my own strength. You see, in here, in the word, we discover incredible verses like Isaiah 9, which remind us that he is our wonderful counselor. He will chart the way through the difficulty for us. That he is our mighty God who is powerfully working on our behalf to get us through. We discover that he's our everlasting father, the one that will comfort us in the midst of our trial. And we discover that he's the prince of peace, the one who will help us to keep a level head in the midst of it all. In here, we discover the grace we need to get through. It doesn't strike me as being all that wise in the midst of difficulty to neglect this. At a time when we need it the most. Some might say, well, my troubles and my difficulties are all consuming. They consume all my time and I don't have, I'm just too busy. And I, to which my reply would be, you can't afford not to be in it in the midst of what you're going through. A little girl dressed in her Sunday best was running to church. She was running late. So as she ran, she was, she was praying. Dear Lord, please don't let me be late. Please, Lord, please don't let me be late. And while she was running and praying, she tripped on the curb and fell over. She tore her dress and she got dirty. Well, she stood up, brushed herself down, and she started running again, praying as well, saying, Dear Lord, please don't let me be late. And please don't push me either. <laughs> you know, it's so easy to race headlong into everything we're trying to sort out in our own strength without considering him. We mustn't. He is for us and only too willing to help us. Moses had a rod and we have the word. And as we're in it, like a good friend, it reminds us of the grace of God towards us. It reminds us of his faithfulness towards us. It reminds us of his power towards us. And it reminds us that the heart of God is towards us. He is a miracle-working God who loves to give good gifts to his children. Psalm 84 says, no good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. And Romans 8 tells us he didn't even withhold his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Okay, the fourth thought is this. The Lord was already ahead of them and had already provided for them. You know, one of the great themes of Exodus is that God was with them on the journey. From Egypt to the promised land, each step of the way, he was there. And in this instance, he was not surprised for their neck, the lack of water in that place. He had led them there. Nor was he surprised for their need of water. He created humanity. He knows they got a drink. You see, he had a plan. In the midst of our difficulty, we've got to believe God has a plan. God has a plan. The Lord was already ahead of Moses. And Moses was to step forward, strike the rock at Horeb, and water would flow out. There was an overflow of provision available already for them. And we're told by the apostle Paul that the rock referred to here in Exodus 17 was in fact Christ in his pre-incarnate state. In other words, in his pre-human form. Before Christmas time, born in a manger, he appeared here as a rock. He accompanied them on the journey. And referring to Israel, Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. They, speaking of Israel, drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. 
Since this incident happened at the beginning of their 40-year journey, which ended up you know, through the wilderness becoming 40 years, and again, a similar incidence takes place in Numbers 20, verses 1 through 13. It's a slightly different instance. And here, the rock was to be struck. Here, it was to speak to the rock, and that's a sermon in itself. But the point being is, Paul therefore concluded that Christ accompanied them along the way. And in striking the rock in Exodus 17, it was a picture a foretelling for them that some 1,500 years later, Christ, the rock of our salvation, would be struck, would be beaten, would be crucified, so that an overflow of life-giving water might flow, and healing and deliverance and sustenance might flow to us. Isn't that great? Isn't that awesome? This happened in Exodus 17 as an example to us, so that we might learn and therefore be enabled to be able to live victoriously in the midst of our difficulties, because he provided for them, he'll provide for us today. And just like Moses stepped out and walked ahead of the crowd, and in so doing stepped into the presence of the Lord where the pillar of cloud would have been, we have to too do the same, because it's in that place that God provided in his presence. It wasn't among the doubters or the complainers. We need to step out of our challenges and our difficulties, that which is around us, to where the Lord is. We need to step into his presence. So be in church in the midst of difficulty. You know, so many people withdraw in the midst of difficulty. That's exactly the wrong thing to do. We need to be in worship. We need to be in prayer. We need to be in the word. Because it's there we provide provision for what we're looking for, the solution to our problem, the way through our difficulty. Whatever we need is found in the presence of the Lord. Jeremiah spoke so well last week about overflow and the overflowing that comes as a result of being in the presence of the Lord. It's in his presence. There's an open door for all that he has for us. It's in his presence. It's not an escaping or turning back to what we knew, to the familiar, to the comfort of what we've known in the past. It's not about going alone, but it's in his presence. So we have no need to fear, panic, run, or hide. He is not, and he will not abandon us. In fact, he said, I will be with you to the very end of the age. We just have to draw aside to his presence because in that place we'll find peace in the midst of the difficulty and the challenge that we are facing. And a solution will come. It's interesting to see that Moses is told to take the rod which he had struck the Nile with and not used to part the Red Sea. Why is that interesting, you ask? I'm glad you asked that because it's a very good question to ask. I'd like to answer it for you. You see, throughout the Old Testament, Israel often is encouraged to look back at the deliverance that God had brought the children of Israel in crossing the Red Sea and how they had escaped the Egyptian army. And frequent examples are found in the scripture where you see the Old Testament writers and the prophets saying about that, reminding them of the deliverance they had got in the crossing of the Red Sea, reminding them of the powerful hand of God that was for them. So why then does God reference the Nile here and not the Red Sea? Well, you see, in striking the Nile, which consist, at least consequently turned to blood, that was the first miraculous plague God had done in Egypt. And in turning the Egyptian water into blood, it was an interruption of that nation's water supply. And in contrast, in striking the rock at Horeb here in Exodus 17, it would signal the commencement of an overflow of life-giving water to Israel. So what brought death and darkness to Egypt was now bringing life and light to the children of Israel through the grace of God. And so... For us, we can see that provision has been made in times of difficulty through the fact that Christ was struck at the cross. And his grace towards us in times of difficulty is so much bigger than our own efforts. He will get us through. 
A young boy went to a local store with his mother. And the shop owner, a kindly man, passed him a large jar of suckers and invited him to help himself to a handful. Well, uncharacteristically, the boy held back. So the shop owner pulled out a handful and handed it to him. And when outside, the boy's mother asked him why suddenly he'd become so shy and wouldn't take a handful of suckers for himself. The boy's reply, looking into his mother's eyes, was because his hand is so much bigger than mine. (laughs) We can't work it out in our own strength. His grace towards us is so much bigger than our own strength. He will get us through. This year, 2020 is, well, it's not over yet. (laughs) And the difficulties we're facing, will they cease on the 31st of December? Probably not. The effects of COVID, they reckon, will hang around for a little bit longer. And there will be other challenges too. And as we face them, let's learn from this passage of Scripture in Exodus 17. And know that firstly, difficulties don't necessarily mean they're outside God's will. Stay submitted to Him. He has a plan. Secondly, realize that we have a choice as to how we will respond. We can either complain to others and run and hide or turn and trust Him. Thirdly, know that although we might initially struggle, God loves us. And he will respond to us with grace. Allow ourselves to be drawn into his presence because that's where peace is and that's where the solution lies. And fourthly, be assured, he has a plan to get us through. The rock of our salvation was struck and he's with us now. And provision has already been made through the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you're able, would you stand with me, please? If you're in the midst of difficulty right now and you're in the midst of a challenging time, as we pray, you might like to just raise your hands to heaven. Where you are at the moment, you can't actually step forward to signify kind of I'm stepping into the presence of God. But raising your hands is kind of a little bit doing something that's an outward act of, Lord, I need you. So just if we've got heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's in you and you're in a difficult situation, I'd just encourage you to just raise your hands to heaven. It's in submission, it's in surrender, but it's also kind of saying, Lord, I need you. I need your grace. I need your help. Father, I thank you that you lead us. The promise of your presence that you would be with us to the very end of the age. And where we find ourselves right now has not taken you by surprise. But you are there, you're already ahead of us. (laughs) Father, for those who are facing difficulties and challenges right now, we're about to head into a season of that. Let them sense your presence, Father, in fresh ways. Let them have an assurance of your presence. Holy Spirit, just come upon them now, I would pray, and begin to minister. Begin to minister your peace. Even though they'd begin to see a solution, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. In times of difficulty, Lord, help us to turn to you, to trust you, to lean on you, to draw from you, not to rely on our own strength. Father, to rely on your strength, to have an an attitude of endurance, not one that wants to escape. Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you that the rock of our salvation was slain 2,000 years ago. That provision of life and healing and sustenance and deliverance that overflow was found through the cross. Mercy and grace. Father, as we face difficult situations, we pray that in them at all times we would glorify you and be an example to others of what it is to walk through life with you. 
to be an overcomer in the midst of the challenges that we face. In Jesus' glorious name, I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you all.